All right. All right. Have a seat. I was at an event the other night, and the guy kept saying, everybody shake each other's hand. And then right after that, I was supposed to eat. And so I was like, where's the Germex stuff? What is going on here? Oh, it's so good to have you here today. Um, and especially, I know that for some, it's hard to get out in this type of weather. Um, you would think that they were from the south or something like that. Um, but you're here to worship God. And I'm eager. I love it when it's snowing outside. And I, I got to be honest, I'm, I'm excited for the new worship center because it's going to have some windows up at the top where you can see the snow falling as it comes down. And we'll just be worshiping God and see his creation. It's got a retractable roof. So we'll open it up. Um, you've, learned, you've learned me too well. Um, so Colossians, let's jump in. Colossians. I'd love for you to go ahead and open up the Word of God to Colossians uh, and, and follow along with me today. I want to give you a little bit of a, uh, a review, though, of what we've already been doing. Uh, we're in Colossians chapter 2, 16 and following today. But last week, we, we heard things like this. We heard things such as, don't let anything take you captive uh, by philosophy or human tradition. Um, for in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then it goes on to speak about things like circumcision and making sure that you're focused on the proper things in life. Um, I'll give you a quick review. Even in Genesis 17, a circumcision was a sign of God's covenantal relationship. We need to understand that. On the eighth day, boys would have been circumcised. And really it was to show that they were in a relationship with God. That's the importance of it. Some people ask, okay, tell me more about circumcision. I've had a few of you say, hey, you know, come and say, can you explain this more? Uh, eighth day, and it was important for them to recognize they were in a relationship with God. And what was taking place was the foreskin was cut off as a symbol of everything. Here's why. It was a symbol of cutting off anything that was anti-God. That's, that's an easy way to be able to state it, to, to think about it. And so here's Paul in Colossians, and he speaks about it other places. He's coming, and he's, he's making sure that when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything that is anti-God should be cut away. That's why he also uses words, let nothing hinder us or entangle us. Right? And so he's saying, cut off anything that is anti-God, anything that can get in the way, that can, can make you no longer as clean as you need to be before Christ. Um, also, when he's, he's writing this type of thing, here's some of the significance of it. And to give you some more background of how powerful this was, this is being written roughly 30, 32 or so years after the death of Jesus Christ. And even now, that message had tra has already traveled to places such as Colossae. Even though it's a long way off, that message had spread. People uh, remembered all of those things that were taking place. And so here, he's speaking about something that would have resonated deep within them. And Rome is ruling. By far, Rome during that day was the most powerful force in the world. In fact, I would say even the most powerful force that we've ever known in the world at one time. And their military was incredibly powerful. It was so strong that they would have parades through Rome 
where everybody would be invited, everybody would have the permission to be able to come, and the, the, the general or the Caesar, whoever was the conquering hero of that day, would come in and everybody would be applauding them and clapping and they would be cheering and they would be looking at how powerful the military was. They would even have their, the soldiers would be singing these hymns of victory. And so this is something that they have grown accustomed to. And after the army, what you would have are all these prisoners who would be drugged behind them, pulled behind them. Often they would have their armor already stripped off, even their clothes. They would have been beaten. And now these people, as they're being um, drugged through the streets, they're being spit on and they're being laughed at and they're being mocked. And then at the very, very end, the king of the nation that they would have just conquered would be there. They would held chants. All right, to the, the, the Caesar or to the, the, the commander who was there, and then to the king that was before them, they would crucify him right there to make a point that we're greater than you are. So he's writing some powerful words here that help us to go, wow, what's really happening here? I mean, in that moment, everybody would actually start chanting Rome triumphed, right? Those types of words, Rome is victorious. So all of this is in their memory. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, which I had to run through so quickly last week, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so they're hearing these types of words going, wait a second, that's what Rome did in their military power and their might. They would come in and everybody would be cheering and chanting and calling out how great they were. And then they would bring in these prisoners and they would be spitting on them and beating them. And then they would crucify the king of the nation that they had conquered. So again, he's calling out and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Everyone would have been in shock. They'd be like, wait a second, what's he talking about here? And he's pulling, Paul's pulling this imagery of a triumph that Jesus is that defeated king. And he was drugged through the streets. And at that moment, everyone is cheering. Paul is saying, no, this is not a defeat, the death of Jesus. It was a triumph. Paul's letting everyone know that Jesus' march to the cross wasn't a disgrace, it was a victory. What he's letting them know is that when Christ gave his life for us, really what he was doing, he flipped everything upside down and now death was a victory. Death no longer has sting for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so you can see why the power of these words from Paul writing to these people and they're going, what? What type of, what type of language is he using? And now all of a sudden he's calling that as a victory, a triumph? What happened to Christ? He's using this, this language so that they would resonate with it and they would see the importance of it. And so that's what we discover here. He's letting everyone know that his death was a triumph, a victory. I mean, even the fact that he had to have the sign above him that said King of the Jews. right? A lot of people didn't want that to happen because 
they were really giving him a title. And they did it mocking him, not knowing that they were doing it in a way in which really told the story of his life. King of the Jews. And so it's in this framework, Paul is letting everyone know, letting these people know, letting all of us know, that you need to, you need to know what you're, you're running toward. You need to know that a full life is only found in the name of Jesus. It's an easy way to summarize it. You're going to see today in, in Scripture how Paul is con- continually communicating that if you really want to have a full life, it's only found in Jesus. You can add anything you want to it, but a full life is really only found in Jesus. And so what I want to do is I I gave you some notes today, and there's two different columns there. One says empty life, one says full life. And we're going to be jotting down, I'm going to encourage you to jot down some things that you have in your own life, but also that we find in Scripture. And whether or not those things lead to a full life or whether they lead to an empty life in Christ. So it's going to be a good activity for us today. Because we can easily get caught up in our past lives. And we can easily get caught up in, in things that we've done previously that have been hurtful. And it can be hard for us to be able to move beyond those things. But we're going to be challenged to do that today. And in this passage, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and following, it, it covers an enormous amount about how we are to live a full life in Christ. Here's an, I want to show you an easy way to be able to think about it. Um, this is not my suitcase someone as soon as they saw me they're like oh you brought in your nice suitcase today I'm like get out just go play in the snow um this is my son's suitcase it's missing a couple of wings maybe you've seen one of these before I want you to act like this is your suitcase this is yours and this is the only suitcase that you have and so everything that you carry around in life has to fit in this That's what I want you to think about. So everything's going to have to fit right in this suitcase. And you can't take anything else with you, which means you have to be careful about what you're going to put in here. I remember uh, when my, my, my oldest son was young, we were going to the beach for the first time. And I think he was probably three, four years old. He's like, I can pack, Dad. I'm like, no, you can't. He goes, yes, I can. I said, fine, go pack for yourself. Just go pack for yourself. Um. Funny things about it was he didn't have a toothbrush, but he had toothpaste. I said, where's the toothbrush? I got a finger. That's what he said. I'm like, oh, my goodness, you're so your mother. And then <laughs> she's not in this service. I won't use that next time. Don't worry. Um, so all of a sudden, I open up the suitcase, and all he had were all of his swim shorts and all of his just regular shorts. That's it. I said, buddy, do you need any underwear? He's like, I got a pair on. I'm like, oh my goodness, where are your shirts? We're going to the beach, Dad. I'm like, all he had were shorts. That's it. Shorts and a tube of toothpaste. I was kind of proud of him as a man, right? But that's all he had. And so I open it up, and I'm looking through all of it, and I'm like, okay, buddy, let's, let's get some underwear. And so I helped him. Let's get some socks. Let's get some underwear. Let's get some shirts. Let's get, you know, all the things that we need. Where's your floaty? Where's your swim shirt? All these different things, and we start packing accordingly. 
And the thing is, sometimes we don't recognize. I'll just leave this sitting here so you have to look at it. Sometimes we don't recognize we only have so much capacity. And Paul's really going to make sure that they're, they're being careful about what they pour into their life. Because you have to ask yourself, is it allowing you to have a greater life, a more full life in Christ? Or is it leading you in a different direction? It's, you're going to hear words like following the rules or obeying rules or legalism and things like that. It's really not about whether or not everything is bad or evil. It's more about, hey, in whatever you're doing, are you allowing Christ to be the dominant factor? No matter what you're doing, are you allowing Christ to be exemplified in those areas? And so he jumps in here because we got to measure that. we got to go, okay, are, are we allowing things to be in our life that really contribute to a life that's full in Christ? And he begins with this. He says, therefore, verse 16 and following, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. That's where he jumps in. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, I want you to remember, Paul is writing this, and Paul was a Pharisee, right? And he referred to him as such in his ministry. You find that in the Word of God. But he was someone who kept the Torah. He kept the Mosaic Law, even after he realized that Jesus was Messiah, And so it's not saying that to have laws and rules and regulations is bad. That's not what's being communicated here. Here's Paul. He had a reputation in Acts 21. It tells us he had a reputation for observing the Torah. Right? We we know that he testified to Jewish leaders that he was faithful to the customs of Judaism. In Acts chapter 28, the final chapter of that book. What this is, is a caution to take heed of anyone who would impose upon the believer a ceremonial or ritual task that actually led to salvation because that wasn't what led to salvation. You obeyed the Torah, you obeyed the law out of a love for what God had done for you. And too many of them, that's the temptation of legalism, is, is we think as long as we do this, as long as we do this, you know, I've, I've seen some people just get so upset with others because they don't show up at church one week. And I go, yeah, that doesn't mean that they're not a great believer and have amazing faith. Have you even asked if they're in the hospital? <laughs> or something else is happening, and, and maybe they're investing themselves in, in a community that, that doesn't know Christ. The key is making sure that you do that. And that's where so many people fell today. We believe that either we're following Christ and we're doing everything is His no matter what, or we're just running towards Satan. What we've got to understand is anything in our life needs to be pushing us toward Christ. Everything in our life needs to be pushing us toward Christ. And so he's saying, don't let anybody pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ should be the substance of every part of your life. Of every part of your life. There is no, this is an easy way to think of it. He's letting them know that there's no substitute for Jesus in our life. And so, if if we're not careful... One of the things that can lead to a life that's not as full as it should be, that's an empty life, is 
is really a bunch of new rules that we think we have to follow. And if we don't follow those rules, we're just done for. Now again, rules and, and, and things like that aren't necessarily bad, but if you think that that's going to give you a greater life or more full life in Christ, you're wrong. And so he's cautioning them to, to, beware, uh, to beware of those who would introduce the worship of anything other than God. He says, let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. I'm going to try to simplify this the very best way I can. If you really want to have a full life in Christ... If you don't want to have an empty life in Christ, you need to make sure that you give Christ honor in all things. And giving honor to anything other than Christ is wrong. In terms of our worship, in terms of where we're giving that type of energy. We've got to make sure that we're focused upon Christ because if we're not focused on Christ, we will make it about us. In fact, one of the things that lead to an empty life are those people who are focused more on themselves than on Christ. You see it before you, buying into self. And the body of Christ is a growing body, and it increases with the increase of God. Healthy churches, hear me now, healthy churches increase with an increase of God. So too many of us, we're, we're chasing after certain rules and certain regulations. And that's somewhat uh, at times how I grew up where everything seemed to be either black and white, right or wrong, no matter what was taking place. You know what? There are some things that are gray. A lot of things are black and white, but some things are gray. And you have to have the maturity to walk through those weeds and to navigate those territories He continues, he says, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are referring to things that all perish as they were u- are used. According to human precepts and teachings, they have, indeed, they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's that same notion of following the Torah was something that you did out of love for God. We've made up all of these rules, and again, I want to make sure, I think the church has done such a poor job and sometimes not communicating the fact that it's about circumcision of the heart and recognizing that you don't want to put anything in your suitcase, anything in your heart that's not helping you grow closer to Christ. That's what you have to do. You have to measure it. You, you've, ever, you've heard the question, maybe if you, were, if you were on a stranded island, what are the three things that you would take? And if you're a good Christian, what's the first thing you say? A Bible. Okay. Right? It's got to be part of it. Well, 
what, what if you can only carry around three things in your life to really show who you are in Christ? What would those things be? We need to make sure that everything is contributing toward the fullness that we are to live in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we don't allow that to happen. Last night, uh, we've, my wife and I, uh, three of our children that are living in our home, we have a, an exchange student from Uganda and our two older ones, they're on the middle school retreat. We woke up this morning and my wife had already exercised and I had done the driveway and everything else and we're coming in and we both go, we feel like we're on vacation because we only have two kids. I mean, it's spectacular. I mean, we really started questioning some things, right? We're going, this is amazing. This is so easy. And as we're evaluating all these different things, we we started to to recognize that we had some choices to make this weekend about how we were going to spend that time. And was it going to really be building up our younger children who we don't get that one-on-one time with very often? And was it going to be something that really gave energy to the right things? Sometimes we give energy to the wrong things. Last night, my two youngest kids who were there with us, they ate this entire bag of popcorn. Um, and, and the reason I figured out they liked it so much was they had cheddar all over it. And so they're eating it and eating it, eating it. I'm like, guys, these are just empty calories. And, and my daughter's like, what do you mean by empty calories? I'm like, it's not going to provide any nutrition to you. And sometimes spiritually, we just keep pouring into things into our lives that are just empty calories. It's not contributing to living our lives fully for Christ. And it's just empty calories over and over again. And then when it's time to jump into something of worth, right? All of a sudden you see a beautiful piece of steak in front of you or some good fruits and vegetables and you go, man, this is going to be amazing. But you know what? I'm not all that hungry. And it's because we've, we've consumed so many empty calories that now we don't even leave room for the things that can really push us toward Christ and maybe you have those things in your own life spiritually speaking they're just empty calories and you're not even allowing yourself to you don't even see the goodness of God and go oh yeah I'm so hungry this is going to be wonderful you just go I'm not that hungry I'm not that hungry I'll just be good the way I am and it's a challenge for us Because the world is shoveling stuff in front of us that's just empty calories. Try this, try this, try this, try this. It doesn't matter what it is. Anybody know who won the Super Bowl? That made me happy. It wasn't that, it's not that I was for Philadelphia, but I will tell you I was against the Patriots. Um, And I know some of you go, oh, how dare you? That's Tom Brady. He played in Michigan 25 years ago. Listen, I was just tired of them winning. Um, And so I was pulling for uh, for the Eagles and they won. The best story that came out of it, right, you already know what I'm going to say is the attention that has been given to all of these Christians on this football team. And they're baptizing people in their like training pool, in the facility. And three nights a week, one night a week they worship together, one night a week they have Bible study together, one night a week they basically hold each other accountable to truth. 
And so they're taking something that could be empty calories. Yes, football is empty calories unless you use it to bring attention to Jesus. And then it's not empty calories anymore. Right? That's part of the resistance that the church has toward us being consumed with so many activities other than God. It's not that, that, that it's a wrong thing. It becomes wrong when they're just empty calories. If you're not using anything in your life to point toward Jesus, you're not going to be able to live the fullness of the life that he really has designed for you. It's just empty calories. And so we saw a bunch of people who are treating something not as though it's empty calories, but they're making it a full blown out meal that is weighty and that's got substance to it because it's got Jesus all over it. Isn't that good? Isn't that what your job should be? It's not wrong to have your job, whatever it is. It's a matter of what are you doing with that? And how are you utilizing it to promote Christ? And so here he's like, don't get caught up in the wrong things. Don't get caught up in the wrong things. He says, if with Christ you died to these elemental spirits, you, you die to these things that is these rules and regulations that says that's salvation. No, they're not salvation. The rules and the regulations are okay if they, they, they guide you to Christ, but that's not a matter of salvation. He even goes back and he really refers to this human tradition. It reminds me of chapter 2, verse 8. Remember when we did, we did the yeas and the nays and these different things that contribute? And we had four yeas and three nays. And one of the nays that kind of that push us away from Christ is human tradition. When you're more concerned about obeying and, and tying yourself to human tradition than you are to Christ. And so he helps us to understand this. And then he continue on, and if you jump into chapter 3, I'm just going to do a few verses here really quickly. He says the following, he says, if then, remember this is after he's already stated and reminded them of all that Christ has done. In that beautiful context of knowing how their ears would have perked up on hearing all of these words, and him going, don't get tied to the wrong things. Know that fullness in Christ is only found when you're resonating in him, living in him, allowing him to come out of everything that you're doing. It says, then, if then, chapter 3, verse 1 and following, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you know what that newness really is, here's some things that you're going to do that will promote fullness in Christ. He says, one, that you're going to seek the things that are above. That's on there for you, I hope. Seek the things that are above. You're going to seek things that are godly. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You're going to live by seeking Christ first. In everything that you do, but also even in everything that you have, you want to make sure that it's pointing to Christ. Guys, earthly gifts can be from God. It's a matter of how you use them. Why? Because what, what I would tell you is, it's not that you have this portion of your life that's spiritual and all of the other parts of life aren't spiritual. Everything in life is spiritual. Everything in life is spiritual. 
The way you handle conflict is a spiritual issue. The way that you deal with a colleague is a spiritual issue. The way that you and your spouse handle a disagreement is a spiritual issue. The way that you respect your parents is a spiritual issue. All of life is spiritual. And he continues on and says, set your minds on things that are, are above, not on things that are on the earth. He's really saying, live by training your hearts and minds to think Christ first. And we do that. We, we have to exercise spiritually. We can exercise spiritually by, of course, jumping into the Word of God and learning from people who may know more than we do in a particular area. And we exercise our minds by allowing others to hold us accountable. I've always said, and I'll, I'll continue to say, a, a truly mature individual in Christ invites accountability. They invite it. Especially if they know how much people despise conflict, they're going to invite it. They're going to say, hey, how do you think I'm doing with this? And it's not fun. I've got a couple of guys I go to on an annual basis, sometimes more regularly, and I go, how, how am I doing preaching? And let me tell you, I'm kind of tied to this. Right? I was up a lot last night rewriting everything. I had to give them different notes in the back. You know how hard that is to say, how am I really doing? And then they know I want truth and go, well, you could kind of step up your game a bit. And so I pray for their salvation and I leave. <laughs> well, isn't that what a mature believer does? They're going to come to someone and they're going to look at them and say, hey, Are you seeing that I'm living fully for Christ or am I, do you see me eating a bunch of empty calories? He tells them, set your minds on things above. In everything we're doing, our target should be Christ. And everything we're doing, our target should be Christ. That's what we're shooting for. That's what we're aiming for every time. In everything, our target is Christ. That is the only way we will know what it is to have the fullness of Christ. And so it's more difficult sometimes in going, well, that's, that's satanic and this is godly. I'm going toward the No, sometimes it's just a whole lot of stuff that either we have to choose or we're going to give it worth in our life by how we point whatever it is, football or anything else, our job, by how we point it to Christ, or are we going to allow it to remain empty calories and lead us away from where God really intends for us to be? I mean, that's the, that's the struggle. That's the difficulty. That's real life, isn't it? That's real life. That's why we struggle. It's pretty easy for us to go, I'm not going to shoot that guy. That's easy. It's easy to know those, those black and white areas. Our struggle comes with all these other things. And here's the key with all these other things that come to our life. You can determine whether or not those are pointing people to Jesus or not. 
That's what we have to really process. Because here in this passage, he's saying, listen, you're getting pulled and distracted by this and this and this and this. And he's letting them know, hey, guys, if you don't make Christ central, you're just eating a bunch of empty calories. You only have so much room. Know what you're going to carry. Know what you're going to tie yourself to. I want to give you one final uh, illustration. Maybe it'll help you out. And, and the praise team's going to come out, and, and we're going to be able to worship a little bit more together. But um, I only have two kids right now. I mean, yesterday morning, I, I woke up, I jumped into scripture and had a prayer time, and then I exercised twice. I was like, I can do some more. And so I'm exercising, and then I'm like, what do I do now? <laughs> like, that's how I felt this weekend. It's crazy. Um, and so I was like, I guess I'll go straight in uh, my son's room, Bennett's room. Um, Bennett is not what you would consider to be an organizer. Um, and so I said, wow, he's, he's only six. And I said, he's got a lot of books, 160 books I counted. Yes, I had that much time. I counted them. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to start getting rid of some books. He doesn't need all these books. They can't even fit on his shelf. How does he have five Bibles? He has five Bibles. And so, so I'm going through everything, and I'm looking at all this stuff, and I think I got rid of six of them. That's it. Because I started thinking about all the different stories. And oh, I remember when I read that to him when he was in the hospital. And I started thinking about all these stories. And um, I'm a minimalist in many, many ways of my life. And so all of a sudden, though, I'm tied to these things. And here was the struggle is that all of a sudden I get rid of, I think, six of them. Throw them in the trash can. Um, and I didn't really make any room for anything else. <laughs> you know, he's the youngest of a lot of kids, which means he just gets everything from everybody else. I didn't make any room for anything that could possibly be greater. And sometimes I think that's how we treat our relationship with Christ. We only have so much room. And we're not willing to get rid of anything in that bag. And as a result, we're not leaving enough space for God to do something even more with us. We've just limited ourselves. And we're just busy eating the empty calories rather than allowing God to give us the vegetables and the fruit. Something that could really push us forward and help us to become stronger. I mean, that's why I would encourage you this week, take that list, make the list full and empty. Which, what are the things in your life? Make a list of everything in your life. What are the things that really are pushing you to have a more fullness in Christ and possibly to have greater emptiness in your life? What, what is that for you? Are you leaving room for Jesus? Are you leaving room for Jesus? Let's pray. God, we are so good at sometimes 
eating empty calories. May we consume more of you so that we can know your fullness, so that we can know more of what you are desiring of us and from us and for us. And some of us are about to jump right back into the rat race. And next week we'll be right here again going, I think there's more. And and God, you use Paul to show us so many things that we can get distracted by. But you also remind us that when Christ came and gave his life, and they, they beat him and spit upon him, and he sacrificed all of it. God, may we remember that was not defeat, it was victory. It was victory. Thank you, God. Make sure you leave room for Jesus. That's what we're really challenged to do today, to make room for Jesus so that we can have his fullness in our life, to stop eating the empty calories and let everything in our life point others to the greatness of who he is. And so as we recognize that, as we celebrate him, I'm going to invite you to, to stand with us and to sing and to recognize that he is a mighty, mighty God.